Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, 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 and welcome, ladybirds and gentle lemurs, to the Human Nature Podcast. Here we explore the ups and downs of being homo sapiens and learn a thing or two on how to be a better animal. My name is Elliot Connor, and I'm at least half elephant. But the star of the show today is none other than Hannah Bergovic. Now, Hannah is from Sweden, but living in Ecuador, and founded Earth Advocacy Youth, a group of youth-led action for Earth jurisprudence. She is a member of the United Nations Harmony with Nature Knowledge Network, and works to amplify the voices of young Earth advocates. Welcome, Hannah, to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really a pleasure to be on the show. Great, great. Now, it should be a fascinating discussion today. And I think the rights of nature is something uh, which perhaps a few of our listeners may not have heard of. Uh, so it'd be interesting to uh, go through all that and what it may mean, especially with the youth involvement as well. Uh, it should make for an interesting discussion. Uh, but I've heard you've chosen the sloth as your animal of choice. And we ask of all our guests uh, what their favourite animal might be. So can you walk me through that choice of yours? Why the sloth? I, I think the, those animals are just like fascinating. It's actually one of the animals that me and my husband Josue share as one of our favourite animals. Um, and I'm, one thing that uh, fascinates me about the sloth is that they're actually more active than we think they are. Uh, there is, you know, obviously they're very slow <laughs> and all of that, uh, but there is also some um, documentation saying that, you know, during the night they actually get very active and can and can move uh, quite a lot for, you know, their speed. <laughs> um, and they're just really cute as babies too. So. <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, I think it's a fine choice. Yes, and yeah. of course with Planet Earth 2, there's a famous scene of the sloth swimming, as uh, so. say, are quite adept in the water as well. I think it's because uh, the gases in their stomach is ruminants. Uh, they build that up, so very buoyant, uh, which helps. It's like uh, having a built-in life thing, wow. a life jacket uh, to keep you afloat. I, uh, it, it's also funny how they sound, especially when they're small, when they're babies. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're just very like unique to me somehow. Ooh. Yes, yes, I would ask for a demonstration. Do you want to do a baby sloth sound? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not sure I can do that. <laughs> yes, uh, baby sloths do indeed make a very strange sound. I'll add it in uh, to the recording about now so you can listen to it. Uh, 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 but tell me, Hannah, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, in your uh, answer to the sloth question uh, that sloths, of course, I do get around a bit uh, despite stereotypes. Uh, so what was it like for you moving from Sweden to Ecuador? Uh, what prompted that move? Well, uh, it was two different things. Um, there, two, there were two different reasons. One was that I got uh, a job 
uh, working with Rights of Nature, um, which was actually one of the first jobs that I've had that I that I got that was in my field um, mm. after graduating, which is always great to you know deepen your deepen your knowledge and apply your knowledge that you gain from from university. Um, but then also it's because Josue and I, my husband, we met in Sweden. And okay. uh, he had to come back to Ecuador for a while. So then I decided that, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll go with him and see how things go. Great. And, and they're very different countries, are they? Very, very different. I mean, uh, they, I mean so there are some things that are just incredible here, like the climate. Uh, yes. You have basically a you know, warm spring all year, which is just lovely. Like, who would say no to that? Um, compared to like the Swedish climate, which can, which can be a little hard on us. <laughs> um, and then you have, you know, all the fresh fruit and vegetables that are like mm. grown here. And like the papayas are the size of my head. It's just like, it's incredible. And the avocados are like super buttery and things like that. The societies are very different. It's yeah. taken a while for me to kind of grasp the 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 social socio cultural fabric here because I'm I'm very Swedish <laughs> I'm very used to the Swedish mentality uh, and uh, you know coming here I did experience a lot of like culture shocks like culture clashes yeah. great and you mentioned with the move uh, you'd got this job with the rights of nature uh, so tell me more about what prompted you into that field uh, how did you develop uh, this interest in what obviously is quite a new concept a new emerging movement of course so i mean i have for i i, I studied human ecology as one of my subjects at a university and that really opened my eyes to the reality that nature is the very web of life which connects every organism on earth into one profound and complex interdependent ecosystem i mean life on earth as we know it is only possible thanks to you know a multiplicity of factors such as the bees the rain, the proper flow of temperature in the atmosphere, the deep currents of the oceans, and proactively and profoundly transforming the way humans interact with nature is crucial in order to prevent this delicate and preeminent balance from being irreversibly disrupted. I believe that urges prudence is one way going forward, where you start to look at a transformative paradigm shift, which provides legal standing to nature and human courts of law. Uh, and you do this by recognizing the intrinsic rights of holistic ecosystems to exist, thrive, evolve, regenerate its vital cycles, and basically play its role in the protection of the web of life on earth. Um, so what really fascinated me with rights of nature is that it provides humanity um, creative opportunity and approach or a life in harmony with the rest of the earth system uh, of which we are part as humans. We are not separate. And what I noticed very much uh, working with environmental uh, projects and initiatives and also studying environmental questions was that there was very much this dichotomy between humans and, and, and nature that they, that, you know, we're separate. Um, and many times among many people, humans are seen as, you know, higher up, in the in the scale, so to speak, they're they're like inferior. Uh, nature is inferior to to um, to humans, and that is something that I thought was very wrong. Like it's really, and it's something that it has really shaped our system of governance, of law, of 
human systems. And I started to realize that we have to go to the root to change that, to transform the system. It's not enough to just change some governance structures here and there, but you have to really go into the depth. And that's really where I think that, you know, rights of nature has the potential to challenge these capitalist extractivist perceptions of nature and change the fabric of these legal and governance systems. Definitely. I think it's a very profound idea, uh, this rights of nature, recognising that right to exist, to thrive alongside humanity, uh, recognising we're not superior in any way uh, to the other life forms that we share this planet with. Of course, where you are in Ecuador and in South America, it's sloth territory, but it's also perhaps one of the homes of this rights of nature concept. Uh, so I think uh, you yeah. may agree or you may disagree, uh, but rights of nature is very much founded <laughs> from uh, some of the indigenous viewpoints. Uh, so some of these traditional uh, custodianship methods of looking after the land, uh, treating its animals. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah. it's, it's very much inspired from indigenous wisdom and, um, and indigenous lessons. And it has turned into a legal concept. It's very much a legal concept. Uh, rights of nature specifically. I, I kind of see rights of nature as a, as a part, as a branch within earth jurisprudence. Earth jurisprudence is the big philosophy, so to speak. And then you have different kinds of directions. Um, and that's where I see rights of nature as very much the legal one and also cultural. So uh, it has a lot of uh, potential, I think. Great. And I know I mentioned earlier for some of our newer listeners, some of those who may not have heard of this concept before, uh, there's lots of terminology being thrown around. But Hannah, perhaps you could explain to us maybe in a sentence uh, for a five-year-old how you'd explain earth jurisprudence and uh, perhaps with the end goal as well, uh, maybe uh, where we're working towards. <laughs> it's a hard question. Um, yeah, it's a hard question, especially when you, the thing is that you have to, when it comes to explaining it to a five-year-old, it's a very complex philosophy. Um, but I would say that we humans and the trees around, the plants around you, um, the animals around you, we're all equal. Uh, yeah. We're all, we all have the same worth and we need to respect each other um, in our actions and in our values and the way we think and the way we look at ourselves. I would say that is a way to, to look at it more, um, more simply, so to speak. It's about respect and it's about compassion for nature of which we are part. Definitely, no, very well put. So I mentioned in the introduction that you've recently founded this group, the Earth Advocacy Youth. Of course, I've been part of this, I've been part of the journey from the start. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful initiative. Uh, tell me more about uh, some of the philosophy behind that, why it was founded, and uh, where we're going in the future. Of course. Um, so I, I have been sensing for the past year, year and a half to two years, that the youth, uh, that the representation of young voices, especially in the rights of nature movement, haven't been, there hasn't really been space for young people in this mm -hmm. movement yet. And I really see that, you know, in order for the movement to advance, to move forward and to really have even more impact um, that is tangible and that is very concrete, we need to involve young voices. Um, that is, I think that is absolutely essential. Um, we are seeing also that there is a, there, there's a lot of destruction taking place when it comes to biodiversity, climate change, 
the oceans. Um, and more and more young people are starting to feel very anxious and, and many also feeling kind of, you know, feeling that there's no hope. Um, and so many of us are trying to do something to secure a future um, that is safe and where we can ensure that we can, can thrive, we can live well, and we can coexist in balance with, with the rest of the earth. And I think that many young people are just trying to move things forward as best as they can. And I believe that young voices, young people have a lot of perspectives that are very unique and that can really contribute to decision-making, to policy, um, to uh, law. Uh, it, can it can contribute immensely to education as well. And uh, so that was kind of my motivation for, for you know, the idea of Earth Advocacy Youth. And it, it, it grew for, it was like, it was like they're lingering in my mind for a few months. And then after a while I said, you know, why don't I just get this off the ground um, and get it started? Because there are so many young people out there who are passionate about, you know, protecting the earth and advocating for something. Um, so, so then, you know, I was thinking, okay, so where... Where are the different spaces where we as young people could work to influence more? We're seeing that the Rights of Nature movement um, is staying very much with like-minded people in some ways. Obviously, there are, you know, actors in the Rights of Nature movement who are really going outside of the space that is the movement and trying to get Rights of Nature inserted into new spaces. But I personally have not seen young people do that yet. So then I was like, okay, why don't we create a group of skilled people who can together try to um, enter these new undiscovered spaces for young people, young urges, prudence, interested people, and try to change the presence of young people and the leadership of young people in the space and in, by inserting rights of nature or, or ecocentric practices. And... Uh, so yeah, so then I decided that, you know, okay, let's get this group uh, going and, and see what we can do together. So I, I, I had met over the years, I had met different, different young people around the world who I felt very inspired by. And I really felt like, okay, you know, I, this person would be amazing to work with. And if I only have one a space to really unite all of these people. So then I, I asked different people, different young people around the world to if they were interested in joining. Um, and yeah, and that's how the group was created. And since then we've done a lot, I would say. I mean, we've existed for just some months and I think that we've already accomplished a lot of things, which is really amazing. And our dynamic is really powerful as well. And what we're planning to do is um, partnering up, first building our strategy because we need to build up a very strong strategy for reaching out to these different spaces. Um, I think it's not the easiest task that we're taking on here. So we need to come prepared and we need to know what we're doing. Um, and try to uh, influence different policymakers um, and spaces where policy is made and decisions are made to get rights of nature or jurisprudence into that space as one tool out of many. We're not coming in and saying, you're not doing a good job. So here, here we are with our solution and just use this. But we're saying, you know, you're doing good work. And we believe that this tool will be very useful in the work that you're doing to make that work even more powerful, more impactful. 
And so that's basically what we're planning. We're gonna, we want to work with different global institutions, organizations. Um, we're also looking at working with municipalities and governments. Right, great. Now, as I said, I think it's an amazing mission and plenty ahead in the future, I would imagine, uh, for the group. It's certainly uh, correct uh, that youth need more of a voice in this space. Uh, so if we can facilitate that, provide it, encourage it, uh, then that will be incredibly powerful force for good. Just whilst we were talking, it occurred to me uh, that slots themselves uh, may be a suitable analogy uh, for this rights of nature. Uh, we were trying to explain uh, the earth was prudence. Uh, so, of course, slots uh, have allegedly a slow lifestyle. Uh, they uh, move often uh, with incredible uh, ease, slowness. Uh, they've adapted to hang upside down, hang these branches, uh, eat, sleep, die, eat, uh, live from the canopy hanging. Uh, that's how they stop expending any energy, uh, very slow metabolism. Uh, but they're very reliant on uh, algae as camouflage and on the uh, insects uh, which make their home in the fern, which allow the algae to thrive, uh, so which fertilise it, if you will. Uh, so uh, all of these things are interconnected. Uh, without the insects, you wouldn't get the algae. Okay. Uh, the sloths would be picked out, they wouldn't be camouflaged, they'd be predated upon. Uh, so, uh, it's all interconnected, it's all reliant to humans and nature, very much the same. Uh, we rely on Earth's natural systems uh, for it's about 40% GDP, and I think it's about 80% of the sustainable development goals, uh, which are reliant yeah. on halting this biodiversity loss. Uh, so we do need to tackle all of these problems together in our human relationship with nature. It's first on that list. So, no, no, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, we have to really look at how do we perceive ourselves in this bigger picture um, in the earth system? How do we perceive ourselves as humans, as part of something bigger? And I think what, what and, and also kind of reflecting, what is our role, you know? Um, yeah. I think uh, it, many, uh, like through history, at least recently, many ha are seeing themselves as like conquerors, like masters of nature or, uh, the planet and and like they're putting they're taking on this position that I think is not very sustainable and it's gone it's only going to contribute to more destruction of the planet of ecosystems biodiversity uh, all of that and that's really where I see the potential in the young people and the thing is that young change makers have they have the capacity and the capability required to effectively experiment promote and apply the concept of urgent prudence in order to address the ecological crisis, crisis that, uh, that we are experiencing and addressing it together with policymakers, governments and civil society. But we need to get that, we need to have the space to do so. And um, if we can't, if, we, if it's not given to us, then we need to somehow claim it <laughs> or create that space ourselves. So, so I think that's, that's very key um, to, to maybe to also start understanding that, you know, we are in an interconnected relationship. Yes, yeah, it's very much like the, the film, the slots facts, the space uh, for these tiny critters and the youth voices to be heard to make that uh, larger difference, uh, larger than the sum of its parts. <laughs> yeah, and more than anything, it's not just about, you know, having young people on the streets, you know, demanding climate justice and all of that. That's extremely important. Uh, youth are also needed in spaces like policy, education. Um, decision-making and um, these different these high-level actors 
uh, we need to get into those spaces. Definitely, definitely. And I couldn't agree more. I think it's been a really fascinating conversation discussing Earth jurisprudence, uh, seeing how it's evolved, how it's come to light, and how it may evolve into the future, how that may change, how uh, we can hope uh, that things will progress move forward and slowly. Uh, these practices may be adopted. Uh, but thank you, Hannah. It's been fascinating, as I say, uh, having this conversation. Uh, we'll be back after the break for the Human Nature Quiz Round, in which Hannah will be competing against two of our listeners in 10 sloth-themed questions. Welcome back once more to the Human Nature Podcast. Here on the show today, we have Hannah Bergovic, who is a Swedish leader, founder of Earth Advocacy Youth, and a, a young advocate for Earth jurisprudence. Uh, but as this is the Human Nature Quiz Round, she'll be facing up against a team of two of her colleagues and uh, indeed her husband uh, on the show in a quiz all about her animal of choice, which is the sloth. So, without further ado, Hannah will be facing up against Hercules, who is a practicing environmental attorney in Cape Town and a jurist at Earth Advocacy Youth. And, as I mentioned, her husband, Josue, uh, who is a lead engineer in a social project in the Ecuadorian Amazon and a boat designer uh, with solar panels across many communities in the local territory. So, are we all feeling confident? Totally. Let's do it. Great, great. Let's go for the sloth. <laughs> and I hear many of you have a sloth passion. Uh, Josue and Hannah, it could be very competitive, this. <laughs> well, I think we know who's going to win. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's quite some opposition. I can feel it's be a close fought contest already. Well, well, so as you may have guessed, the rules to this game are very simple. I'll read a question. Either contestant can at any point make their buzzers sound. The fastest to the mark gets to answer first, but if they get it wrong, then their opponent will have the chance to steal the point with the correct answer. So, Hannah, can I get you to test your buzzer? Uh. Very good, very good. And Hercules? <laughs> Brilliant. And Josue? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And so, we'll make a start. For the first question, it'll be an easy one, and I'll have Hannah against Hercules. Sloths famously live a leisurely lifestyle. How often do they excrete? You can choose once a day, once a week, once a month, or once a year. <coughs> Hercules, that was very fast. Well, it's a guesstimate. I'm just thinking at the rate they eat and move, probably 
Once a week. Once a week is a very fine answer, indeed, indeed. I'll give you a point for that. And I awesome. do <laughs> approximately once a week. It's, it's their, part of their daily routine. Uh, they actually expend about 12% of their energy uh, just scaling up and down the trees uh, to visit uh, these uh, laboratories they use. So it's a major part of mm-hmm. their weekly routine. And <laughs> it's... It's always been an interest to scientists uh, why they do it in that manner. So why they constantly have to use the same location. Uh, there's been arguments that it's uh, so they can cultivate uh, these moths which are on their fur, uh, which help them as camouflage. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating, <laughs> their toilet routines, but it is approximately once a week. I guess all I want to say is we all have our own rituals um, about how we go about doing things. So it makes sense. Mm. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, so we'll move on to question two. And Hercules has taken an early lead with one point. So we'll give a chance to Hosway. It'll be Hosway versus Hannah. And your question is. What is the major threat to sloths during the rainy season? A, they starve to death. B, they drown. Or C, they're likely to be predated upon. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that was very close, but I'll give it to Hosea. I I will say the, the predators. Predators isn't a bad guess. Unfortunately, it's not the answer I was looking for. So, Hannah, you will have a chance to steal. What are you going to go? I will go with A. You're going to go with A. A is a very fine answer. Indeed, during the rainy season, sloths slow down their metabolism so much that they can starve to death on a full stomach. So it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, but somehow they managed to uh, slow themselves down. They live this very leisurely lifestyle. and uh, They're able to actively almost stop themselves from living. Wow. Yes, truly incredible. Mm-hmm. So we're on one point to each team after question two. It's very close already. And the third question, I'll have Hercules versus Hannah. Question three is where in the world might I find the the only sloth orphanage? So I'll give you some options and you might choose Costa Rica, Ecuador, Panama, or Greenland. Uh. (laughs) Hannah's going to take a guess. Um, I would say Ecuador. Hannah's going to go Ecuador thinks it may be near herself indeed. Unfortunately, Ecuador is not the right answer in this instance. So Hercules, you're going to have a guess. Bingo, by by process (laughs) of elimination, I'm taking it's not Greenland um, and not Ecuador. So uh, the other one was Costa Rica and Panama. Yeah. I'm going to go with Panama. You're going to go with Panama. Unfortunately, that's not the right answer. (laughs) No! 
<laughs> yes, yes. So Costa Rica, it, I'll it, remember It was that. Costa Rica, you're right. So I okay, won't give a point okay. to either team for that round. It will stay <laughs> drawn. And that means we're on to question four, which will be Josue versus Hannah. And your question simply is, how many hours a day do sloths sleep? I'll take closest answer. Uh, Hannah, you're going to take uh, a guess? I would say, yes, um, I would say uh, 15. You would say 15. 15 is not bad. Josue, you're going to take a guess. Yes, I will go for 20 hours. You're going to go for 20 hours. I think I'll give that point to Hannah. Uh, they do sleep for about 16 hours a day in the wild. Uh, they sleep for more in captivity. Uh, they slow down even more uh, when they're in zoos and the like. <laughs> Can they even get slower? <laughs> yes. One would think it would be difficult to take more time out of their routine. Uh, but they do manage it somehow. Uh, they're very sluggish animals. Uh, sloth, of course, is one of the seven deadly sins. So uh, they certainly live up to that name. Uh, but that means that after question four, we have Hannah on two points and Hercules and Josue on one point. So we'll move on to question five. And that will be Hercules versus Hannah. Your question is, sloths move and live on such a slow pace that they provide home to many insects. How many types of beetles might you find on a sloth? Uh, I would say 10. You're going to go 10, Hercules. <coughs> oh, sure. that's a difficult one. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm only going to go with like, it's just be neutral, five. Five isn't bad, five isn't bad, but I will give that point to Hannah. It can be up as what? a 15 uh, types of beetles uh, that you can find on a sloth. Wow. I have about uh, 980 uh, individual beetles on a given sloth. Uh, so wow. Oh my God. That's quite incredible. That's quite great. You should... Also, yeah. <laughs> take some time to clean himself instead of sleeping. Yes, yeah. Some <laughs> self-discipline. That's what that. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Good coping. Maybe paying good a coping. bit more attention to personal hygiene might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. So that means that Hannah indeed wow. is storming ahead. She's on three points with Hercules and Josue on one point which means we're up to question six. And question six is sloths are very speedy animals. <laughs> what is the maximum speed a sloth can reach? I'll give you some options. So you can choose a centimeter per second, six centimeters per second, 16 centimeters per second, or 60 centimeters per second? Uh, Hannah. Uh, option two. You're going to go option two, six centimeters per second. That is oh, wait, indeed no, the no, correct no, no, no. answer. Sorry, you mixed it. I, sorry, I mixed them up. Could you repeat them again? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, bingo, bingo. I'm going to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, go, go, Hercules, go. Go on, Hercules. Six centimeters um, per second. Wow. What? Very good. What, what, what did Anna say just now? I don't know. I think we said the same. <laughs> Anna got it right, but then she took her answer back. So I think I'll give that point to you. <laughs> well played, well played. So that means no, listeners have two points now against Hannah's three. And they're slowly, slowly making a comeback after some excellent gameplay. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Oh what goodness. a question. Okay. Well, question seven is most mammals have seven neck vertebrae. Famously, giraffes and mice have the same number as do humans. Sloths, or two-toed sloths to be specific, have six. Which other animal joins them in that regard? So which other animal has an even number of vertebrae? You can choose either a cow, a manatee, an elephant, or an elephant shrew. Uh. Go on, Hannah. Uh, four. Option four. You're going to go for the elephant shrew. Unfortunately, that's not the right answer. Hercules, you going to give it a go? Sure. What is an elephant shrew? I don't know that. An elephant shrew is a small, it's a shrew, so it's like a mouse, a rat type creature. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and a manatee is like a... A, a sea cow. Sea, sea cow. Um, don't call someone that would be rude. Um, <laughs> uh, I sure that's a difficult one. Let's go with the manatee. You're going to go with the manatee. Very good. It is indeed the manatee. Uh, they have six vertebrae. Uh, we had on our show last week uh, the fact that owls have about sixteen. Uh, so that's how mm. they turn their heads. Uh, this 40, 70 oh, wow. degrees. Uh, but yes, manatees and sloths uh, are able uh, to not do that. Uh, they have a six uh, neck vertebrae uh, simply because they don't need them. Uh, they don't need to turn their heads much. Uh, so uh, it's evolved uh, to be so. And that's how they get by. Which means wow. that we're actually drawn now, moving into question eight. We have Hercules and Josue on three points, and Hannah also on three. Uh, you will have three more questions to take a lead to win. Uh, I think our high score on this quiz uh, was seven and a half. Uh, we got that last week, but prior it was only five. So uh, they're very respectable scores for this stage in the game. You both could beat that five, uh, but you won't make a record. And your question, I'll have anyone can answer uh, for these last three. So your question is, would a two-toed sloth or a three-toed sloth make a better pet? I, I will say the three. You're going to say the three-toed sloth. Three-toed sloth yeah. is correct. 
that was very good very good <laughs> yes uh, they're, they're, they're very, very different animals in spite of the naming uh, they're not closely related at all uh, two-toed sloths are slightly faster uh, three-toed sloths uh, have nine bones in their neck uh, not sixes as per the last question uh, the three-toed sloths uh, do indeed make good pets uh, but uh, the two-toed sloths are very vicious uh, so <laughs> you wouldn't want to cuddle one <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that they were so different. No. Uh, yeah. Surprisingly, uh, they have like uh, striking uh, differences in how they uh, behave, if not perhaps how they look. <laughs> yes. Mm. So your second last question, question nine, with the uh, listeners. So with Hercules and Hosway on a lead. Your question is, how many toes does a three-toed sloth have? <laughs> uh, Go on, Hannah. Uh, four. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, she thinks it's a trick. I wonder why. Four is not the correct answer, though, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I'm going to say five. <laughs> You're going to go five? Five is not the correct answer either. Oh, no. We'll have one more guess. We'll have one more guess from Hosway. I will say three. You're going to say three. Three is also not the right answer. Uh, they're named the three-toed sloth because they have three fingers on each hand. Uh, so they have six fingers, uh, but they have uh, six toes as well. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, they, they indeed. It was a trick question. Yeah, it was a question. <laughs> well, not as uh. such. It, it, it times it by two, so some maths involved. <laughs> <laughs> the two-toed slots are that. even more confusing though. Uh, so the two-toed slots have two fingers on each hand. Uh, but they have uh, six or eight toes. Yes, yes, very confusing naming system, uh, but uh, two-toed sloth uh, does not have two-toed, uh, the three-toed sloth does not have three toes. Uh, that's just how it's worked out. Uh, they apparently looked at the wrong end, which means that neither team will score a point from that question either. And the listeners, Hercules and Hosue, are one point ahead still, and they have four points to Hannah's three. And one more question to go. So it could still be a tie. It's very close. Your final question. Let's pick a hard one. How about what piece of fruit or vegetable do we have sloths to thank for? Ah, avocado. Very good, very good. A strong finish yeah. to the show, which means that both teams have ended up on four points. It's a draw. I believe it's the first draw we've had, uh, which is very exciting. So neither team can claim the victory for that <laughs> game. Or we both can claim it. Or you both can claim <laughs> exactly. it. Very right. Everyone's yeah, a winner. We can all go home <laughs> happy. 
It was well played by both teams. And so that brings us to the end of our show, episode six of Human Nature. Make sure to subscribe and share with your friends. And next week, we'll be back for another episode. Until then, stay safe and do try and be a better animal. Thank you all and goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.